Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the ministry of your love this morning through your shepherding. Lord, you are a good shepherd, and you know just how to minister to us the love that is greater than our hearts. I pray we'd receive that gift of your resurrection love this morning, and we would be strengthened in that love to the glory of your name. Amen. I was noticing uh, as I was doing the gospel, I'm, I'm tempted to sway a lot. <laughs> and that's because I've got a new baby granddaughter, Verona um, Emery. And, you know, just a few times of, you know, doing this, holding her and swaying, it's like whenever I'm standing now, I'm tempted to sway. <laughs> and I may get up and sway a little bit here and there, but I thought today I would um, begin by just having, I feel like I want to have a family conversation. I think that so much of what we see in the gospel this morning is Jesus ministering in such a family way to Peter. And, uh, and I feel like that's what the Lord wants to do for us this morning. Um, something that strikes me about this passage and the ministry of our Lord to Peter is, um, is reminiscent of this experience. I think you've probably noticed this if, if, it, if it hasn't been your own personal experience in, in different settings yourself in the past. And that's like, uh, imagine maybe going to like a party, a celebration. You're really looking forward to it. You're enthusiastic, and you go there, and um, you, you want to enter, and you see all this fun happening, and people are celebrating and enjoying one another, and it, it just seems like this unmitigated release of joy, but, and you're entering in, but you're also feeling like, I'm not fully there. I'm not fully there, and there's something weighing you down. And it's keeping you from fully coming into the joy that you're witnessing. You had intended to be there and you'd hoped to fully be there. You wanted to enter into that. Now that you see it, you realize there's something that's holding you back. I, I've experienced that myself. I've seen other people, you know, go through that. And my own, you know, my own tendency is to usually go with them. I, I'm not particularly good, by the way, at helping folks who are sort of on the margins come in. I'm, I'm really good to be with them in that sort of sideline experience that they're having, but I'm not always that good at figuring, how do I bridge the gap? How do I bring them in? And um, what I think we see with our Lord here this morning is an incredible gift of knowing how to be present to somebody, and it may be your heart, for instance, this morning, that's kind of held back, and it's maybe weighed down a little bit, and he knows just how to meet you where you are and to bring you into the center. And he knows just how to minister light to the heaviness. He knows how to lighten the load. And um, I think we see that with Peter here this morning. And um, this is one of my favorite passages. It's, it may have something to do with the fact that this was a passage that I often meditated on when I was preparing for ordination. It was, it was with me for years before I was ordained. And a lot of people think of this as sort of an ordination passage, ordination of Peter. And uh, it happens with a restoration. In, in many respects, uh, what this is, this is, a, this is a resurrection ministry. It's taking the light of Christ's resurrection and ministering it in a really loving way to the depths of a broken heart so that it can fully enter in and then be released to do the same for others. He's really being restored and ordained 
And I think it's a ministry that all of us can have and are really meant to have when we come into our true identity as followers of Jesus and ministers of that, as ones who have been fully loved at the depths, even in places that are maybe complicated and heavy and now healed, knowing that we've been healed, we can minister that at a very deep level to others. And uh, certainly that's what we see with Peter. I mean, Peter, um, he becomes an incredible minister of reconciliation, he becomes an incredible minister of power to people who, who, um, who are convicted of their sin by his first sermon and, and also ultimately convicted of their righteousness in Jesus in such a way that they're completely transformed through baptism and repentance. And the, the, the church grows because of that. And so Peter is restored and ordained in this passage, but it was, a, it was not an easy thing, I don't think. And I think uh, John is such a wonderful storyteller, so much meaning in John's gospel. And there's some clues here about what we, we can um, ascertain that is probably going on for Peter at this moment. So let me give the immediate setting right before our passage, which we read in the gospel this morning. Um, Really, in a sense, you've got the end of the entire Gospel of John, and he's saying all the signs of the kingdom that Jesus did, all those miracles, and the entire book of his glory, his, his death and his resurrection, all of these things are written so that you may believe and become, in a sense, children of God. And it kind of feels like it's an ending. And then you have this chapter, which is an epilogue. And John sets his gospel up with a prologue in advance, telling them, if you believe and receive him, you become children of God, born not of the will of man or of the flesh, but of God. And then, in a sense, this chapter is, now that he's done everything necessary to give those signs so that you may believe and become children of God, in a way, I think what he's showing us is how do we minister that to people? How do we enter into the mission of that? And if we're all tied up in knots and we're all condemned in our own hearts, we're not going to be able to do it. We're not going to be able to. He does all of the work, of course. Everything is accomplished. All the signs have been given. All of salvation has been completed in Jesus. And now we're ministers of that. And you see this with Peter and the disciples. That's what they actually are. And... Um, so Peter, at this point, at the beginning of our chapter, says, let's go fishing. I talked about this last Sunday night. And the disciples say, sure, let's go fishing. And they go fishing, and they're working all night long, and they catch nothing. And they're frustrated, and they've got nothing to show for all of the labor all night long. They're doing what they've always done. They're fishermen. And Jesus actually must like that about them because he even says, I'm going to make you not just fishers of fish, but fishers of men. You're going to be catchers of men. So there's something about it that's just normal and it's fine and they're doing what they have always done but they're doing it to no avail. And some of it has to do with the fact that just Peter just willy-nilly, arbitrarily it seems, decides let's go fishing. So by the morning, they've got nothing to show for it and they're probably frustrated and they're exhausted for the lack of fruit from their labor. Because a lot of times you don't feel too tired if you've been working hard, but you've got some fruit, right? It's, part, it's, it's a good feeling. And Jesus is standing on the shores of Galilee. Father Steve helped me to realize something. You, he, you have to actually be in Israel to understand this. Uh, but the, the way the geography is on the Sea of Galilee, the way the shoreline comes up, it's actually... a 
it, it gives you a great perspective as to what's going on in the waters. You can see the fish, the schools of fish that are floating around, literally, from the shore. So he has a special vantage point. He has a transcendent vantage point as he calls out to the disciples, say, children, have you caught anything? Which is kind of a funny thing to say um, for two reasons. He's calling them children, and then he also says, have you caught anything? And they're, it's empty, and it's just, as a reader, I find that amusing. Is he taunting them? What's he doing, <laughs> you know? But he says, throw it on the other side, on the starboard side. They're like, those, these are heavy nets, and they pull it over on the other side, and they just, they do it. And then it's a massive catch of 153 fish they count. And that's when John realizes, and he says, it's the Lord. And then Peter Peter knows John recognizes the voice of the good shepherd really well. And so he's like, it's the Lord. And he puts on his clothes, which makes no sense. And then he swims to shore to have this time with, with the Lord. And there's this wonderful breakfast that's set up. And the, um, Peter's exuberant. This is what I love about Peter is... He's not thinking at all. It's like, it's the Lord. They've had a couple, at this point, of encounters with the risen Lord. And so his heart is just, you know, ready to greet and embrace the risen Lord again. And, um, and now he's got this, this amazing catch, because it's a, and so it's a miracle. It's a sign of, I would say, ministry, right? And, and so he goes to shore, and there's breakfast already set. Jesus already set it up for him. And that's when our gospel begins, and what I, what I think from all of this is that the first part of the story of ministry and the story of really the meaning of our lives and the story of how do we come out of our own failures and frustrations is that, first of all, we just have to listen to the Lord. And sometimes that, that prompting comes from somewhere. You haven't exactly identified it right away that it's the voice of the Lord, but you just have to do it. And so as we said last Sunday night, you know, you're doing the same exact thing, the same exact net, the same exact activities with the same people, and you're just doing it in a different direction, at the direction of Jesus who knows what he's doing because he can see it from a transcendent point of view, and you're going to have fruit. And so there's, that's the first thing I want to say about this morning is that when we're in the midst of failure and frustration, so the first thing is to, like, listen for a prompting somehow. And don't do anything weird and different. You don't have to make up anything new, but you might have to do it in a different direction. And that's, that's an interesting thing. But listen for the voice of the Lord and make sure you're surrounded by people who really do recognize that voice, like John, so that when they say, you know, this is the Lord, you can be sure that it's the Lord because they're maybe a spiritual, spiritually more mature person or maybe they're really familiar with the scriptures. So then meet with him and, and hang out with him. So Peter does that, and his exuberance is great. He comes right in, and they have this breakfast. And here's where we get some of the details about what must be going on in his heart. And I think it's like the person who comes to the party, and they're, they're on the margins. like They're smiling that everybody else is enjoying themselves, but they're not quite. And Peter, I, I wonder if maybe it's the way that he's eating the food. You know how you, you eat the food sometimes half-heartedly, and you know it tastes good, but you're just, it's like not getting too much further past your lips. <laughs> and maybe your mouth is a little bit dry. And you feel some sorrow because you see what's, what's supposed to be really wonderful here, this family time with Jesus, and it's not penetrating into some deep place in you. And I think what's happening for him, he's feeling deep shame. I think he's really hurting. He's hurting because he hurt the Lord. He's hurting because he actually, you know, 
scattered from the Lord. He abandoned him and he denied him three times. I think the other thing that makes me think that he's probably feeling some deep shame, I might be reading too much in this. I, it could be a funny way of like, you know, Simon, son of Jonah, like my mother when she was rebuking me, Eric Andreas Olson, you know? But I don't, I don't necessarily think that's going on there. I, but I do wonder, like Jesus is actually saying to him, um, Simon, son of Jonah, and it's like he's, I want to speak right to you. I'm gonna, I want you to know that I'm actually speaking to you. I'm speaking to your heart and who you really are. And I'm even naming you as the son of your father. I think sometimes when we feel shame, we're, it's a, it really hits really at the core of who we are. It starts to disturb our identity. And it really prevents us from entering into life when we feel that kind of shame. And so he's, Jesus is addressing him at that level. Simon, son of Jonah. I mean, was it, was it because in Peter's experience of shame for having denied the Lord, he had stained maybe his father's good name? Was it maybe that there's a legacy even of shame in his, in his family history and all he's done is just now added to the legacy of shame? I don't know what it was, but it just it's, it struck me that Peter is being spoken to very, very personally in who he is. And I think the Lord really wants to dislodge the shame so that Peter can come in fully, freely, utterly to the completeness of who he is. And so now he takes him through, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, um, he takes him through three affirmations which are parallel to the three denials. And uh, the other reason I want to say, I think we know this is about shame, is that John calls out the fact that this is by a charcoal fire. Last time we saw charcoal in this gospel, Peter was warming his hands by a charcoal fire and busily denying the Lord to a servant girl and to another servant and eventually inside to somebody who had actually seen him cut off the ear of one of the guards. And every single time, I don't know the man. He's saying that. That's haunting him. That's a brutal, brutal truth about what his history includes, is how he had denied the Lord. At a really critical moment, he denied the Lord, and John made it to the cross, but he didn't make it to the cross. He's thrilled and overjoyed in his exuberance that the Lord is risen, but there's still something hanging heavy on his heart. And it's this, I think. Warming his hands by the charcoal, and now he's eating a meal that the Lord has preemptively just given to him. This is preemptive grace. Come in and enjoy my resurrection presence. But the Lord is saying, I want my resurrection presence to go right down into that shame place and dislodge the shame for you too. Because you need to be released into your ordination. You need to be released into the ministry and who you are and the ministry of what I've called you to do. And so he gives him three chances to affirm his love. Um... You know, he's, do you love me? And the, the first time he asks us is, do you cherish me? It's that agape love. It's that, that generous heart love. And what's wonderful about ha- what's happening for Peter here is he's, he's no longer making boastful declarations about his heart. Yes, Lord, you know I love you more than all the others. That's ex- exactly what he had said last time. So others might abandon you, but I will not. And then Jesus says, you know, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And, and Peter, at this point, I think he's finally learned what, what Paul learns. When Paul is dealing with a lot of trouble, too, 
And he's like, I don't even judge myself. Like, people are trying to put him in a camp and put a polis in a camp and a line around them. And, you know, he could feel like, well, am I a, am I a, a really good apostle or am I a bad apostle? I know I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the last born of the apostles. But he doesn't even occupy himself with that kind of thinking. All of that might be true. It is true. He even says it, right? He says, I don't judge myself. I don't judge myself. And Peter ultimately uh, you know, gets to this place. He's listening to the resurrection Lord. The way he talks about our, our Lord in one of his epistles, I think it, is it the second one? I can't remember. He says, baptism is really um, not so much a cleansing of the body, like washing away dirt, as a cleansing of the conscience. It's, an, it's appeal to Jesus, his resurrection presence. And so what's happening to him right now is the resurrected Lord is actually cleansing his conscience. It's that light of the resurrection. It's cleansing his conscience. It's a wonderful light because he was partly responsible for, for Jesus dying on the cross because he wasn't there for him. And so, man, it's going right to the place of his deepest shame and his denial, and the Lord's giving him his, a chance to affirm. But Peter is letting the Lord judge his heart, and he's finally just saying, I'm going to let my yes be a yes. Yes, Lord, you, you know my heart. I, I love this, and you know that I'm a, I'm a regular practitioner of repentance, <laughs> and confession, and I see a confessor once a month, and one of the, the ways that you express contrition in the traditional office is you say, oh Lord, you know my heart. You say exactly what Peter said, because only the Lord can search the heart. I mean, sometimes I'm deceived about my heart. Um, so he's not there like saying, well, you know, I'm actually worse than everybody else, and he's not saying I'm better than everybody else. He's saying, yes, Lord, I love you. You know my heart. And that's the perfect position to be in so that the Lord can actually use your heart. It comes again, well then, if you love me, um, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, lead them. Lead them like a good shepherd. Lead them into green pastures. Feed my sheep. And I think what, one of the ways that Peter's actually experiencing the feeding is, yeah, it's a communion that's gracious right away, but as soon as his conscience is pricked, Jesus is tenderly, gently, but with wonderful accuracy and discernment, placing it right in the most painful places of Peter's heart. And so I think that, you know, Peter is saying, in many ways, he becomes this minister of reconciliation to all of the sheep. That's what his, his Pentecost sermon is like. It's, he's ministering that kind of feeding to the sheep that cleanses at the deepest place of our shame and disburdens us of that weight. And so he does it one more time, you know, feed my sheep. I want to say that, um, you know, I think this is maybe one of the biggest, I, so there's two, two reasons why you might be really weighed down when you come to the Lord. It could be the malevolence that somebody else has directed to you. And I think sometimes we can't enter in because we've experienced the kind of evil that somebody else has done and it's so shocking that we're still under the, the terror of that. We're still haunted by that reality. I used to work with people in, at Resurrection, a couple people who actually were victims of what they call satanic ritual abuse and it was tied into the Eucharist. And so the really sad thing about that kind of sacrilege is that people actually couldn't come to the meal that the Lord had set for them. They were so horribly, horribly weighed down by the malevolence that had come against them that was tied to the Eucharist. And yet so somehow we had to, we had to minister love to them and gently lead them to the Eucharist and eventually 
The, the two people that I'm thinking of, their favorite part of the service was the communion ministered right to the place of their heart that had been so wounded, so wounded, and Jesus gently ministering that place. But I, I actually think that in some ways, and, and, I, and I believe that the science, I've recently heard that, the, that a lot of science um, around PTSD would say that this is true. Maybe, Karen, you might know off the top of your head. Um, you know, the, the soldiers come back from Vietnam, they sometimes would have PTSD because of the evil that they witnessed that other people are doing, just horrific things that they've seen, and that's certainly true. But a lot of times, it's the evil that they themselves have perpetrated that's the most horrifying. And they just can't come to grips with the fact that they did something that betrayed their own integrity and their own human dignity and they violated some other person and they're so horrified by it that they are in a state of shock and they can't enter into life. And I think what Jesus is, is saying is that even when you've denied me at the levels that Peter has, if you just let me speak a word of grace to you, I will heal your heart and I will show you the way of love that can heal all hearts and then you feed it to other people too. This is the way to come from the outside in. I think the last thing that I'll just say about Peter's lesson this morning from our Lord is, is um, it, it is about love, but it's about the love that he makes happen. You know, Peter decided to go fishing of his own, uh, you know, according to his own lights, it's only when he listened to the Lord that it actually got productive. And Jesus finishes this passage by saying, you're gonna be led in ways that you don't wanna go, follow me and you're gonna bear fruit, follow me. I think that's a lot of what the Lord's saying is that you're gonna be my great under shepherd and I want people to listen to you, but you need to understand that you're under my shepherding first of all. So follow me. I've been struggling, uh, some of you know, because I'm aware of people in pain. And sometimes I think to myself, and I have my own inner dialogue as we all do, like I'm feeling the weight uh, on my heart. Like, did I get something wrong? And I'm judging my own heart, and I'm condemning my own heart. Thank God for John in our epistle who says, I'm greater than your heart. And if I say, I love you, and I forgive you, then you just receive it, and you say, yes, Lord, and I love you too. And um, in the midst of this, I've been feeling shaky, like, I don't know if I'm that good of a lover. I don't know if I know how to pastor people. And I, like, I'm a, I'm a pastor guy, and I like to go on the sides and be with people in their suffering. I don't always know how to get them in the center. That's what I feel like I'm learning today. And I think I'm learning it more and more. But one of the things that the Lord has said is like, okay, I, I'm gonna shake some things in you. And what I'm shaking in you are the things that you think you have to do, and you're doing it according to your own lights. And I'm shaking that stuff out of you because I want you to be productive. I want you to know that I love you. And through that, I'm gonna bring about fruit. And so, yeah, I'm shaking things, but it's going to be so that you'll be even stronger. You're going to actually not be the flimsy shepherd. You're going to be the strong Peter-like shepherd then. The Peter-like shepherd who actually can love and enter in fully and be, you know, not just an exuberant person at the threshold, but an exuberant person at the center of his loving ministry. And so, yeah, I'm still in the middle of this and feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm still feeling flimsy. And then the Lord said, through the birth of my granddaughter, something really beautiful to me. So she's a, my son, I didn't know that this was going to be her name, but her name is Verona Emery. And Verona Emery means city of love and courage. 
And I feel like what, you know, what has been the contest is love. You know, I feel bad that maybe I haven't loved well enough. And I also feel like, man, sometimes it does hurt to love. And what I feel like the Lord is saying is like, no, stay on mission. This is our mission. We are to reflect the light of Christ's love is the first thing that we say. This is the mission. And so I, I really want you guys to be like a city of love. In fact, if light of Christ is who she really is supposed to be, we will be what city of Kenosha is supposed to be like if she were really truly to be herself. That's what I think. That's what I believe. So let us be a city of God. Let us be a city of love manifesting that fruit. But man, does it need courage sometimes. As I get discouraged, and I need to feel the Lord saying, let my love be greater than your discouragement. Let my love be greater than your self-condemnation. Let my love be greater than your shame. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do pray for your love to penetrate into the depths of our heart, to dislodge the shame and anything, Lord, that keeps us from the fullness of your love and the life that comes with it. Lord Jesus, I want us to be strong in love and courageous in love, to be like fortresses of love, Lord, that speak truth when it's hard, but does it gently just as you did with Peter, that cleanses consciences. Lord, I pray that we would, this morning, we'd come in even more than we have, that we'd come all the way into your communion that you've established for us. We'd come all the way in to the application of your risen life to even the parts of our soul that we think light can't scatter this darkness. Lord, may your light scatter every, every patch of darkness in our hearts. May you disburden us of every weight of shame so that, Lord, we can be disciples who are loving and the world will know that we are your disciples because we are truly loving. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.